Kia ora, welcome to the Invisible Sensei Podcast. I hope you're well. So, this is our first Covered for COVID podcast. The world has changed somewhat since last time we had this time together. And um, so, like everyone, we've been struggling to make sure we get all our ducks in a row, so to speak, and make sure that um, our family's taken care of and things are prepared and we're getting information from good places. So if you're listening to this, wherever you are, thank you firstly for taking time to listen to it. Uh, secondly, um, we hope you're well and healthy and taking time to, as I always say, focus on the things which are most important, obviously, that that being family or family as we say in Māori. Um, so this is going to be an interesting podcast for me because um, a while ago someone spoke to me about, you know, you on the Invisible Sensei podcast, you know, you talk to a lot of people, um, but we don't actually know that much about yourself. So I have asked my beautiful partner to Tiawa to um, we'll have a bit of a conversation. Um, I'm not really sure what's going to come, so I'll just try and I'll, I'll answer questions honestly. But yeah, um, so I guess tonight like we're sitting here, Tiawa's sitting under a nice blanket, we've got a roaring fire and we're feeling very, very relaxed. Um, I'm drinking us, we're drinking our Sprite, and no, that's not a uh, substitution, we are drinking Sprite, so. Yes. So, um, just a little bit about Tiawa. So, Tiawa's a Nidan training for your son done at the moment in Gorjiru Karate and a black belt in Kempo Bushiroru Karate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, she is well trained before she ever met me. Um, so, I'm going to very tentatively hand it over to you. So, and, and you guys would have met Tiawa because um, we did a podcast a while back and I guess it was talking about karate, the karate life and the karate wife's eh? Yeah, that was a while ago. Mm. Kia ora, everybody. Um, so yeah, I'm going to ask um, Tori some questions. This has been something that I've been wanting to do. I actually wanted to sort of get him to interview me and then I did a, a reversal on him and then just switch it and <laughs> interview him. So um, well, we decided, no, let's just be real about it and <coughs> I'll just interview him. So I hope everyone as well hope you're coping with um the COVID-19 and um keeping up the training we had a great train virtual train today via zoom true our first one eh? our first one and mm. um yeah zoom seemed to have worked really well for us um now we're sitting here watching youtube videos on guess what we should do <laughs> so that's us yeah anyway so Senso. hey how are you i'm good thank you good all right, so the first question that I want to ask you is actually about the title Invisible Sensei. Oh, yep. Where did you come up with that? Well, <clears throat> uh, the Invisible Sensei podcast, this podcast came out, and if you look on the details, I always talk about um, it's season two, not season one. Season one was actually done on my Facebook page, and it was when I, I really didn't wasn't that very... Um, technical seven I guess that's the right term mm-hmm. so what I would do is put on my phone I'd just talk into it and then I'd put it up on Facebook and and find all sorts of really complex ways to put music in the background and so on and so forth um, so the Invisible Sensei is not literally about me it's about I think everyone has an Invisible Sensei I think everyone has people and things in their lives that mean a great deal to them. Um, I think that we carry an invisible sensei with us. 
um, that being the voice that says we can, we sh- we can't, we will, we won't, we should, we shouldn't. Uh, I don't mean it like it's not so much. I don't see it as kind of a kind of your conscience. I see it as you know your value system, and, and you've got really when over the period of your training, you have really good sensei or sifu or sabunja or whatever martial art you're doing, instructors, coaches who I think can influence you in lots of different ways. And I think the best kind of sensei is one who influences you even when they're out of sight, even when they're out kind of doing their own thing. Um, and that you kind of carry a part of them with you. And for me, then, yeah, I've got many invisible sensei, but yeah, um, people have asked me why invisible sensei, because I think that um, the best sensei and the most knowledgeable and powerful sensei we have is the one we don't see, which is the one we carry. Hope that makes sense. Yeah. That's um I didn't actually know that I lived with you and I didn't even know that. <laughs> you live with me, you put up with me. I put up with you. No, I live with you, you live with me. Vice versa, we put up with each other. Anyway, so <laughs> um can you tell us a little bit about or well, one, how long have you been training for? Mm-hmm. There's three parts of this question. How long have you been training for? What styles have you trained in? Mm-hmm. And how did you even get involved in in martial arts? Right. Oh well, can I? Oh well, gosh, this is my question. So um, I started martial arts in 1977, and it was actually my uncle Ritti who started me. He was um, he'd done a bit of quite a bit of travelling, and he was a Kyokushinkai um, a Kyokushinkai adept, I will say. Um, and really, how I started, I think really I just I grew up in a I don't want to say an abusive background but it probably was I guess I grew up in a, at a time in a place where there was a lot of al- alcohol a lot of drugs and a lot of family violence and so for me one of the things that I, I did was I, was I guess I was always looking for um, kind of a father figure or, or you know I suppose as a kid, you know, you're trying when you grow up like that, you learn to try and be invisible. Mm-hmm. And I was quite a, a painfully shy kid, um, although you probably wouldn't know that now because you know I put on a good show. But um, so my uncle Ritsi came on the scene and he was doing weightlifting with my father. My father was a powerlifter, and he was just seemed like this really charismatic guy who actually paid attention to me and was really positive. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was used to sort of fading into the background and just trying not to make much noise and trying to stay out of the way. So when he took an interest in me and started showing me how to kick and punch and blocks and break falls, and I remember being at his house and he took the uh, car seat out of the back of his car back in the day um, and had some old ladder thing and it had springs in it when they had springs in it. Mm -hmm. And he was teaching me how to do flips and jumps and all that sort of stuff. And so... I think for me that's kind of where it really started. I, I also grew up watching a, well not grew up, there was a period uh, where there was a thing called Monkey Magic on TV in the early 80s. Yes. Uh, Monkey Magic was, you know, like I broke every broomstick I could find to make myself a wishing stuff. I've seen um, you um, watch those recently actually. Yeah, yeah, I try and watch them whenever I can. Um, <laughs> so I suppose I was always kind of artistically inclined and I, you know, look, I'm a big guy, I'm about 6'4 and I was not always that, I was quite a small kid, I was a premature baby um, and really skinny, gangly, 
clumsy kid and it just felt like and I never liked I was never really into so called and I'm using air quotes when I say this manly pursuits and I, I mean that in the sense that I didn't play rugby I wasn't really keen I did when I was younger but I never enjoyed it um, uh, if you know anything about New Zealand or you know anything about the game of rugby like many countries that have a I guess a, that are patrons of specific sports um, in the rugby culture in New Zealand there's a lot of alcohol and a lot of toxic masculinity that goes with that and I, I saw that growing up so I didn't want to be a part of it I always wanted to be an artist um, and yeah and I always like to do my own thing and martial arts sort of seemed to fit that bill so what was the first style of um, martial arts? Um, the first karate I did was um, Kyokushinkai. Um, my first two styles, I guess, <laughs> was um, Nakajima Judo. And I saw Judo came to me because I, when I was a little kid, I was probably yeah, I was five. Um, my first experience of it was being help well missing my bus at school and I went to the hall and there was this well I didn't know it was judo at the time but these whole bunch of people in white PJs throwing each other around on these nice white mats and it looked kind of magical to me I remember then again I suppose it's a theme when we talk about it that this guy came over the sensei although I didn't know that word at the time came over and he had this I just remember he had these really thick wrists and these really muscular huge oak tree forearms um, and his fingers were all taped and gnarled and I for some reason watching him move and watching them move it just looked like fun and it just kind of captured me mm. Mm. <clears throat> so you've been training for I'm just trying to think of the calculations roughly 40 42 42 years 43 years yeah something like that it's, and so we have how far did you grade in, in those different styles? Well, um, well, a judo or something I kind of kept up. Um, I never, I, I, I started doing Nihon Jiu-Jitsu and I got a downgrading in that. Um, and with Kyokushin, I probably got to about a green belt, I think. Mm. And then um, the style changed. Uh, Sensei John Jarvis, who was the um, head honcho of Kyokushin in New Zealand, or well, the Shibucho area chief, he came back from uh, training in Japan. He started training with Moriwa Higawana of the OGKF, and suddenly we were doing, um, instead of Kyokushin, we were doing Ojuru. And I was a little kid. I mean, I, I had no say in that. I had friends and family and so on, uncles and so on, and so on that were training. So I just went, I didn't know the difference between any of these things. Um, at the time there was a massive split, people people who were sort of stalwarts of Kyokushin didn't want to do Gojuru. And so there was a big split and some people went with the new style and some people stayed in Kyokushin. And um, yeah, so I, I was just, as I say, a little kid, so I didn't have much in the way of, you know, I wasn't massively consulted about it. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like your uncle Ritsi was um, an important person in yeah. your life. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Um, he's on someone I always credit with starting me and giving me a passion for it. I remember that he had um, this great big um, mirror in his room uh, that had the uh, Kyokushin Kanku on it, 
um, that everyone knows so well. And he had a pair of sai, mm. um, really cool pair of sai, much like your sai, actually. Mm. Um, and I just, yeah, and I just loved it. I just loved it straight off. Mm. Um, you're talking about sai, and one of the things that um, I've observed with you is how um, almost like special, I won't say specialist, but how good you are with any sort of weapon that you pick up. So when did your weapons journey start? Um, weapons started when I was quite young, but my martial art of origin really was doing mauraka and maupatu, so learning payaha and things like that from quite a young age. Um, if you don't know what that is, mauraka and maupatu are just two of many indigenous martial arts for the Māori people. Um, and I guess also too, I just... I, yeah, I, I think doing Mairako because that's all about our language and our culture and our stories and things like that. And I also, like I said, I liked monkey magic, so anything mm. where I was able to flip a, a pool cue or a, a broomstick around was cool. Um, and like I said, uh, my first one of sort of, well, not my, yeah, my first foray into weapons was watching Monkey Magic and then um, sneaking my uncle's side down off the wall and just um, smacking myself with him. Also, just like when I was making nunchaku that I managed to hit myself on the balls and in the forehead with on many occasions, then on the elbow, the back of the head, all that sort of stuff, you know, all that sort of stereotypical stuff. Um, I, I, it's funny, but people see, I suppose the thing for me is people see me, a lot of people see me as a weapons man. Um, I don't see me as a weapons man. I don't. Mm. It's not what I try to do. I see my my training in Kobudo, my training in Okinawan weapons, is um, sort of like a hojundo or supplemental training for my karate. And mm. um, I really enjoy it. I, I love it. I, and, and also, I was lucky enough to be able to, as part of my jiu-jitsu training, study um, uh, study yaido and yaijitsu. So that was cool. And I've kept that up. I really enjoy that. It's a really wonderful martial art. I'm not very, I'm not great at it, but you know, I just practice it for my, I guess, for my own peace of mind. Mm. Um, you talked about your onkoreti, mm. and I'm just interested to find out a bit more about other inspirational people, other people in your life from the time you were a kid mm. up until now. You know, whether it be your family or. Um, other instructors mm. like who and you talked about Sensei John Jarvis yeah like over the time who are the instructors oh. that have been inspirational and right. supportive um, well I think probably first and foremost I mean when you were talking about Sensei Jarvis too don't forget that I was a little kid I mean well beneath his notice I mean a little <laughs> little kid so you know like I, when we say people who inspired me I mean I met the man maybe two or three times and probably two of those were outside the dojo many years later um, but he was an inspiration to me I'll, I'll get to that I'll get to that he, was, he did something really inspiring once anyway um, the biggest influence on me was my grandmother um, and my grandparents they my grandfather died when I think I was about I'd say it was about seven or eight um, huge impact on me um, uh, just lovely people just I loved them I worship them and my grandmother was my, my family were not well it's a bit of a joke really my mother and father thought it was ridiculous and they often made fun of me which was hard 
and didn't do a lot for my self-esteem to be honest um, but my grandmother would encourage me and she would um, when I'd go and stay with her she'd give me a spot to go and train and she'd never make fun in fact she'd watch me and encourage me um, so yeah you know like um, I think probably in terms of people in my life who have inspired me um, first and foremost would be my grandmother um, gosh she's been who else uh, in terms of um, martial arts I mean it's been an interesting thing because like as I said you know I think I was always looking for male role models so I would and be constantly be looking for a surrogate dad. I had a father, but as I said, as I said, um, drugs and alcohol and just everything that kind of went with that was was very prominent. And he was not as present as I would have liked, or as healthy as I would have liked. Although there were times when he was, there were periods when he was, and that was awesome. Um, so I was always looking for, yeah male role models, father figures, and, and I would invest in them, sort of this unrealistic kind of expectation, putting people on pedestals and then having them not, so it was very hard. Um, gosh, um, Sensei Laurie Scott mm. would be a, um, an inspiration to me. Um, he was formerly of Kyokushin, I think he was a Shodan Kyokushin, and then he went to, uh, he was an IGKF instructor, and then went independent and ended up going with for a period with Tiro Chinin Sensei um, of, of, from his organisation Jundokan International in Spokane and Washington State. Um, he was a very, he is a very influential person in my life. He's very kind. He's a great instructor. He trained us well. And the thing for me too is he had this wonderful belief in the openness and openness and inviting everyone into the dojo and he really 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 lived that we trained with lots and lots of different people I mean I coming to, I'm coming to him with a sort of dubiously coloured obi and him taking me in and just letting me do my thing and and being very patient with me as were the, the other students in the dojo um, just a sort of a lost lost teenager with who probably spent too much time watching Bruce Lee movies <laughs> there's, there's many others there's many others um too numerous to name, to be honest, mm-hmm. and they'll probably come to me while we talk. Yeah. Um. So, like, if you're in your forties, you're seven now. Yeah, I'm forty-eight. Forty-eight. We can say it. We can say it. <laughs> you know it. I know it. I just needed to get you know. it right. <laughs> <laughs> um. What would you say to your twenty-year-old self? Ooh. Um. Gosh. Stop showing off. <laughs> Don't be a dick all your life, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, don't be a dick. Just try not try to be less of a dick. Try to stop being a dick earlier rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably wouldn't listen to myself because I was had all the answers. Um, in terms of life and in terms of martial arts, I, I think I would say um, don't be so frightened. Mm. You know, um, and frightened in the sense that. Um, martial arts was all I thought I could do and I my worth was based on my ability to train and this and that and I was a real I was a real fanatic I mean I know would you call me a fanatic now? Yes okay didn't even have to we've think been, about that. we've been in isolation for two days <laughs> and I have heard nothing but karate oh, okay. anyway well, back to the interview well it just <laughs> it just got real um 
what were we saying? I just, I was just so blown away by that. Um, what would I say to my 20 year old self? Yeah, I would say enjoy the journey more. Mm. Take time to smell the roses. Um, when you say don't be so frightened, what what do you can you tell me more about that? What do you mean by that? Don't be so frightened to allow people to see to see to see him. Okay. Um, I think that he was a at many points in his life kind of a frightened kid, mm-hmm. um, a runner, someone who ran from conflict, and someone who was terrified that people would really see him and doing everything in his power not to and, and using martial arts as something to reinforce yeah um, some really bad habits in terms of real low self-esteem stuff using martial arts as a punishment rather than as a practice mm. you know um, yeah mm. yeah. maybe I'll talk to him about that yeah yeah mm. um, you were talking earlier about you know people having their views about what you should be, the stereotypical you're a rugby player and all those sorts of things, yeah. especially here in New Zealand, especially um, you know, if you're Māori or Pacific. Oh, yeah. um, how did you, how did you, going, like, going through your school, t- school age and high school, and how did you deal with that? And Because I know when I was a kid, I was actually... Doing martial arts wasn't something that I wanted people to know about. Um, one because I used to, I also played golf, so martial arts and golf were the two most isolated sports you could ever play, wow. and yeah. it didn't want um, people to know for some reason what, um, that I used to play those. They used to do those two things, but how did you cope with um, with that with people and the stereotypical things and? Your desire to want to do martial arts. Look, I, I mean, to be honest, I was—I I didn't. I mean, you see, you—you're—you're you're coming from the perspective of having, you know, having some discipline in terms of, you know, you're you're a multi-sport person, so you played lots of sports and you were good at all of them. Um, for me, martial arts was the only thing that I did. Um, everything was geared towards it. My gymnastics training, weight training, everything was geared towards being better at martial arts and. Um, Oh, I don't know. I think I wore it on my sleeve quite a bit. And I think um, it's funny when I meet people from those times, you know, who remember me as a young kid. And it's quite embarrassing, the stories that they tell, you know, the recollections they have. Um, it's sort of, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Yeah, but I, I think that I was just um, <coughs> a young kid who had difficulty expressing his emotions, um, who had um, difficulty with emotion in general. Um, and used martial arts to kind of hide a lot of that. I think I was filled with a lot of bluster. I was definitely a show-off. Um, I was definitely... I don't know. I, I think I watched a lot of karate kid movies and things like that. Karate kid, when it came out, I felt like it was written just for me, to be honest. Um, the hard thing about it was that... Um, it's It's... There's certain things that came out of Karate Kid for me because I mean I very much I mean oh, I don't know it's going to sound ridiculous but I looked very much like I was a sort of a tall gangly skinny kid so I kind of related a lot to Daniel Larusso oh, yeah. um, so I guess in a, a weird kind of way I was always looking for my Mr Miyagi mm-hmm. um, I don't know that I ever found him maybe I found him in lots of different people um, yeah I think that um, it's taken a long time to understand. Place that martial arts has in my life, and it's, and a lot of times it's been quite 
I've kind of turned it into a negative thing. I was definitely, at times I was a bully, but I definitely got my beans, man. I, I definitely got um, a few beating, a few hidings that were richly deserved. And luckily I, I never suffered any serious damage because the people uh, that gave me hidings were, you know, realised that I was just some stupid kid. Did you ever participate or compete in competitions? Yes, yes. I, when... Um, when I was younger, yes, I did. I participated in competitions. For me, um, my favourite format of competition was always contact. I I don't know what it was about points. That, or I think I did a lot. Of, I did a few points tournaments early on, and I just became dissatisfied because I just used to lose. And I, you know, I, for all my Zen, Budo, Karate, you know, you know, it's not about competition talk. I'm a very competitive person, especially with myself. Mm. So I hated losing, and I was thinking about it the other day. I was going, did I? Was that I? Yeah, I was just no good at point fighting. Um, and so I always liked, yeah, I loved Kyuk Shinkai. I loved anything where there was contact. Mm. Um, I loved Irikume. <coughs> I loved Nandori. I loved like, sparring. And, and in fact, I never had much time for kata growing up. It was just sparring, sparring, sparring. I was a complete dick. Mm. Um, when it came to sparring, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was, I've, if I meet some, if I a friend of a friend of a friend comes to the house and say, "Oh, you've done a bit of judo, done a bit of karate, done a bit of taekwondo," I just jump up and say, "Let's spar." That was my way of communicating. I was such a knob, <laughs> an absolute knob. I remember you um, telling me a story. Oh no! Actually, about um, one of the competitions you were at, oh. um, which I. Th- thought it was it was very funny mm. um would you would you mind sharing that story what, 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 um, what story is that <laughs> well you're talking about being a show-off before and you were talking oh. about being a knob and you know <laughs> i was talking about the blood the bar right you're talking about the bleeding nose funny, one yes. okay all right okay so it's a particular tournament that i was at and you know is it is the case in the tournament? i can't believe you're making me tell this <laughs> Anyway, um, so I was there and um, we were warming up and kind of like I said, I thought I was pretty hot shit, part of my language, but I did. I thought I was the next best thing to Bruce Lee. I watched a lot of uh, Into the Dragon and The Last Last Dragon, so yeah, I thought I was Bruce Lee boy. Um, show enough. Um, <laughs> and... Um, Oh man, I can't believe it. <laughs> so I remember this tournament and we're warming up and it's going for you know, the Kyokushin tournament and they're talking about the rules and this and that and everyone's standing there kind of nervously warming up and, and, and then I spot this attractive woman, a young woman, young girl, because um, I was only a teenager then, in the front row and I st- immediately start showing off. I mean, we haven't started the tournament. So I start swinging my kyog, you know, front kicks, you know, high over my shoulders and things like that. In preparation for that, I'm not even thinking about the fighting. I'm not listening to the rules and all the rest of that. I'm just showing off for this girl. So I get, you know, I start getting more and more confident. And I sort of shuffle a little further forward, and then um, I throw one foot up, and I'm I'm looking in the wrong direction. I smash myself straight in the <laughs> nose with my my knee, and I immediately break a blood vessel in my nose, and blood starts gushing. Of course, when you hit yourself in the nose, your eyes water. So my eyes are watering, and I was trying to cover it. I didn't realise that my <laughs> Gi was covered in blood, so I got disqualified from the tournament for blood blooming. Uh, and we hadn't even fought in one yet. That is, yeah, I know. I, I must love you that I can tell this. Story. <laughs> I was sitting here going, Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer 20 yes, years ago. Yes, yes. No, no disclaimers. That, no disclaimers. That, as I said, I needed to learn how to be less of a dick. Oh, oh that's funny. Um, <laughs> okay, do you think so? 
The other thing that I know of is that you've actually won three um, world titles. Um, yeah. And just really, I mean, in all seriousness, and I know you don't like talking about these sorts of things, so, mm. um, but it'll be good to um, just to hear a little bit about, you know, it doesn't have to be all three of them, but um, how you found that experience and if there was mm. anything that you took out of those experiences yeah. that well, you'd like to share with us who haven't been there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that you got to keep it, I, I try to keep it in perspective in that. You know, it, there's so many world champions walking around. World champion doesn't, you know, Sakai champion doesn't mean what it used to. And I'm not saying it meant what it used to when I did it. Um, you look, I was very lucky. I had, had some tournament experiences in which I did reasonably well. Um, it was an experience that is interesting to me because... It seems to be more important to other people than to me, in the sense that um, people who people who know about it um, tend to be more impressed by it than than me. And um, I know that certain people have said to me, other martial artists have said, "Oh, you know, you really need to put that on leaflets and flyers, and if we ever had leaflets and flyers and, and things like that." But I, I just, I think. For me, I was very lucky to do what I did and have the opportunity to to compete. But for me, the real meat of karate is coming now. Um, it was something I it's something I was lucky enough to do uh, while you know when I was young, and I kind of never got to a point where I wanted to trade on that. And that's not humility; it's just keeping it in, in perspective. I guess I think that for me, tournaments. Uh, important if that's the way that you measure your development and I think there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do um, for me I guess I pursue karate and martial arts for my own, for personal reasons now um, yeah, I and I think if you're going to compete like one of the things you know one of the things which has been quite contentious and is probably not going to happen if it was not going to happen is that karate was due to be in the Olympics and while I appreciate the athleticism of the people who do that I suppose for me my, my fear would be that karate becomes like taekwondo and to a certain extent judo and I say that from a place of complete respect um, it would worry me that it becomes this kind of sport and starts being a, a martial art you know um, or <coughs> whatever it is for people who practice it um so I guess that was a long way around to asking a question. Look, I had an opportunity to do some things once. I was glad of it. Um, I've learnt that um, it was interesting too, the, the reaction of certain people, because um, it seemed to be a kind of a big thing for a while. Um, but I never learned to... I don't know, I never learned to love it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and for me, the opportunity to do that sort of stuff, I mean, the thing which appeals to me, that stuff is connection, is meeting other people, doing other things. Mm. I mean, out of tournaments and, you know, you know, um, MMA-style fighting and kudo and all the rest of that, my favourite tournament has been um, by a particular sensei called Gabriel Phillips mm. in this tiny little town in the south, in the Otago, South Otago region of New Zealand. It's um, a place called Tapanui. Um, 
And it was always a tournament that I loved going to. Um, it was a tournament that had lots of different styles, lots of different people. And Sensei Gabe was such a gentleman. I mean, he's probably another inspiration to me. Such a humble guy who put his heart and soul into martial arts and the students. Um, that's the kind of tournament I look back and go, man, that was so cool. So I met so many cool people and got to. And I was exposed to so many people doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, Chinese martial artists, Muay Thai, Zendokai, Jiu-Jitsu, different styles of karate. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, for me, if anything comes out of tournaments, it's that tournament that I, those sort of tournaments that I hold most dear. Mm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that you were, um, that you hated kata, you were more of a committee. Mm. And my, my observations of you now is, I, if, if I would never have known that mm. if you had told me that um, my observations of you is that your kata is the essence of your martial arts yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah what's your what's your thoughts now oh I think that my, you know depending on what martial art you do I mean I think everyone gets to a point where if you're going to be a I suppose for one of a better word, a lifetime practitioner, a lifestyle practitioner, you find the things that have meaning if you stay there long enough. Um, kata is... I don't... I can't remember what happened. It wasn't a moment, I think, when kata took pride of place. I just... I think I always looked at kata early on as something I needed to get to in the next grading. I never... Looked at his other thing, anything like that. And then when you have get exposed to a sensei who, like I was living in Hawaii for a while, <coughs> saw some incredible exponents over there that were very bunkai based, and that kind of started me thinking. My own sensei, Sensei uh, Laurie Scott, my, one of my formative instructors, a great influence, um, was very bunkai based. Um, <coughs> but I guess it just took me a long time to make the connection between the practical aspects of karate and kata because I, I suppose I always saw it as a dance and like I said you know like many people mm. I enjoyed um, Bruce Lee stuff and you know Bruce Lee's whole thing is you know the uh, um, what is it um, Najik Kondo in the way of intercepting fists you know like there was no such you know, the style of no style and that sort of stuff so I didn't understand that stuff mm. but it fitted a narrative that I was creating in my head or an excuse for not learning kata mm. you know so mm. yeah it's become yeah it is very very central to my personal study yeah I, I'd um, yeah I would never have guessed that um, that that was your favourite thing oh. now anyway yeah. um, one of the things that happens um, one of the things that that we have it's a privilege that we have in our dojo um, a number of sensei about three or three sensei four mm. who, and who come from all different styles of martial arts um, and as a student in our dojo we we have the um, privilege of being taught kata from three or four different people mm. sometimes mm-hmm. and one of the things that often happens however is we learn kata th- three or four different interpretations of the same kata mm, yeah. <laughs> and which is um, which has its which has its pros mm. but it also has its cons 
um, particularly if you're the student and you're having to sort of ex- execute a a block one way and, right. um, and and another instructor has taught you a different way mm. and those sorts of things. But what's your what's your thoughts around um, you know students who are in that situation who are learning martial arts on their journey for martial arts being taught different ways to execute yeah. kata? Well, I mean, in this instance, I mean, like what you're saying, we've got different sensei from different lineages of Gojuru um, that are members of our dojo. Um, Gosh, um, the thing is, is that you go from dojo to dojo, you know, from school to school, within the same style, with same instructors, and no two in the sensei are going to teach the mm. kata mm. the same way and do it. I think that what happens is people's idiosyncrasies creep into the kata and it also creeps into their transmission. I mean, like when we were doing a particular footwork the other night, I realised that when I taught these guys this kata, I'd had a knee injury, so mm. I'd shortened the stance to accommodate myself, then I taught it to use not realising that and forgetting that and then when we got together going well, why is your stance so short and then it was because I remember that I had a knee injury when I taught it to you so you guys internalised my um, I guess my injury and my mistake um, it, it's it's kind of a thing of like you've got to it's, it sounds it sounds a lot easier than what it is but you've got to internalise it you've got to learn to do it in different ways you know, it's like, I suppose, it's like, uh, what's a good way of thinking of it? It's like, don't have any hairstyles. Everyone, you know, everyone's got, for the most part, everyone's got, you know, the same capacity to grow here. I'm saying this is a bull guys. This is a terrible <laughs> metaphor. But, you know, like, people, uh, what's like, um, yeah, it's like that metaphor we did the other night. You know, you know, if I took you out and sat you down with a pen and paper, See what I draw that mountain. You're going to draw a different mountain. You're going to draw different versions of. You know, it's going to be the same scene, but it's going to be a slightly different take. <coughs> you know, um, and I think the same as in the dojo. You've, it's just kind of part and parcel. You've got to, as you move through, it's at a certain point you'll start to formulate your own training. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in your formative years. It takes a long time to get to to that point. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of one of those things that um, we take for granted, in a sense, you know. But but it, it is it is part and parcel. You've just got to use your common sense. You got to filter it through your common sense mm. and do it the way of sensei who's in front of you. Mm. And I guess one thing too that helps us, um, or one of the things that I've tried to do when when that happens for me is if I can understand and, you, and it's come from you of course if I can understand the bunkai of what the instructor is teaching me then then I can understand the application of the kata mm. and so having I guess having three different styles or three different ways of teaching you mm. also gives you the opportunity to learn three different ways of doing that bunkai yeah mm. yeah I mean I think it's that thing of like I think bunkai comes in different Packages. Mm. I mean, because I came from a um, scene, I've always had scenes that are very kata based and very bunkai based. You go through that first level of literal translation, which is, right, this is, um, you're stepping out, you're blocking with your left hand, and you're coming up and punching Gyakuski Jordan with the other, you know, like it's, it's literal, and then you're kind of learning, okay different ways of applying the same technique you'll find that with different sensor will apply different things in different ways and then it's getting to a point where look I was training with um, 
virtually with my mate PJ Broomy Sensei of weekends, and we were doing Say Sun. We did an hour on Say Sun, um, and his his the emphasis that he did he placed on certain elements of Say Sun were completely different to mine, um, <clears throat> and there was sort of a certain flavour in the way he did his kata, which was different from mine. But it doesn't make it wrong. Mm. What it did is gave it a different focus and flow. So when I went away from that um, session, there were so many things that I took from it, you know. Mm. And so there's a richness there. Um, and you've got to look at, there's just so many different stages to bunkai as well. And it's yet to a certain point where bunkai is not bunkai, you know, like, um, one of my favourite writers, he wrote The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and his name totally escapes me. Um, it'll come to me later. Um, he said in the beginning, a mountain is a mountain and a river is a river. And then as you move on in life, a mountain is no longer a mountain and the river is no longer a river. And then as you near the end of the journey, you just go, yeah, a mountain is a mountain and a river is a river. You know? Um, you did a lot of training with um, Chinin Sensei. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I was really lucky to, to have done a little bit of training with him. I wouldn't say like heaps and heaps, but you know, like I had an opportunity to train with him right here in mm-hmm. Aotearoa, um, um, along with lots of other people, um, and spent some time with him. I was really, really lucky to have done so. I was really lucky to have seniors who took the time and energy to bring him out from. America, and then I ended up going to Spokane and Washington State and going up there and training with them there. Mm. But you know, that was in terms of Gushuka and things like that. But uh, you know, one of the things which I really liked about his approach, he was very creative. Mm. Um, his way of doing karate, it just kind of suited me. I think you get to a certain point where you know what it is that you like, you kind of get a sensibility about what suits you and his way of doing it. He was he incorporated gymnastics and yoga and all sorts of things into his karate and I just liked that he did it. I mean, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Armando Martinez Sensei, who's the uh, head instructor of the OGKI in Miami, Florida, um, who I was having a conversation with him this morning. Um, who completely inspired me. Um, and, you know, like he calls me his karate son, I call him my, my karate dad, because we do kind of look, he's a big, um, he's a big bear of a man, um, bald Cuban guy, lovely little guy, beautiful family, um, <laughs> really handsome looking children. That, that So, you know, I don't know how that I must be where you get your looks from. <laughs> That's where I get my looks from. Um, but, you know, people like, meeting people like that, um, who, who they didn't try to copy what they did is they tried to emulate the principles um, and do it beautifully that for me I think you gravitate to what your values what your mentality your physicality uh, dictates and I like to train with people I'm not, I don't want to spend hours and hours with people I don't like mm. I don't respect I mean, you can't like everyone you don't have to be liked by everyone and you don't have to like everyone but mm. it helps yeah. um, couple more questions these are um, yes, just... I'd love another love another surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, what what is your favourite kata? Ooh. And um, why? Okay, okay, okay. Good. Ooh. I, there's a depending like in 
Let me put it this way. Like in Kobudo, my favorite weapon is the Iku. Mm. So there's a number of Iku kata that we do that I really like. I like Iku as a weapon. Um, so um, I also like um, sort of my Yodo kata. Some specific kata that I like, Ipon Me. Um, just real simple um, drawing kata that, that I've always kind of practiced. Um, there's um, one of my favorite, my favorite kata tend to be, in terms of what I like to watch, is two men kata, mm. where people is a, um, a, a tori and uke, mm-hmm. you know, someone who's been attacked and someone who's. who's who's um, being the, I guess, the, the attacker in the situation. Is that being the, the technique, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Renzuku, like, really nice, Renzuku. Um, in terms of karate kata, I suppose, I like Naihanchi, although I've never really done that kata to a great <laughs> degree. Right. Yes, Naihanchi. Tell have another gonna, question now. Hopefully going to teach me Naihanchi. Okay, let me finish this one first before you rip me up on that one. <laughs> um, I love... I really like Anan Kata from Rui Rui. Um, I'm very lucky that I've got a, a good friend of mine and a sensei who has taken time over the last few years to be very patiently trying teaching as best he can. Uh, Anan, I like that. I love that kata. I love the Rui Rui Kata. Um, my kata I like in Shotokan would probably be Pinan Shodan. Um, just a nice kata. Yeah, we're still recording, but it's all good. Sorry, we won't be too much longer. Um, and in Gojuru, I like Tensho, I like Seisan, and what's another kata? Yeah, Tensho, Seisan, I don't mind Shisoshin. Um, it's probably easier to tell the ones I don't like. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what do you, how do you base, the way I base kata mm. is... Which kata I like are these normally two things that I it's either the kata that I hate the most, I force it to be the one I like the most so mm. that I make myself do it. And yeah. it's either that or and the other reason is because I love um, open hand kata. Um, but how do you choose, like, how do you know whether you like a kata or not? Oh, what is the I think it's kind of like for me with kata, it's always, it's always about, I think that each kata has its own personality mm. and you've got to make friends with kata mm. I mean it's like for me I've done makiwara since I was about 15 I know that lots of people have um, you know, broken up hands and all those sort of things but I mean a friend of a sensei said to me when I was about 22 he says you know you've got to make a friend of the makiwara yeah. um, I really love makiwara training I love the, the idea that you're doing um, you know you're doing something close to what the founders doing yeah. did um yeah, it's kind of like you just you go yeah, you just learn a cut and you go yeah, I like that one. That one just that's me. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. me. I like that one. Yeah. Um, couple more questions. Yeah. This question is actually about my hunchy because I yeah. Um... <laughs> Maybe we should preface it a little bit. Okay, so just so you know, so. Nai hunchy is a kata that I've always liked. Nai funchy, nai hunchy. Um, I've had a little bit of training in it. Tawa um, had a lot of training in it when she was doing Kempo. Um, there's a certain part of it that has, in the, in the, in the way that uh, Tawa was taught, there's a crescent kick. Yeah. 
Um, I've never I, I've never seen when I've been overseas in Japan and so on. I've never seen the hanchi done with a crescent kick. I could be wrong. So what's happened is I said today to tell her, "Can you teach me the hanchi?" And she's going because there was a particular sensei that I liked the way he did it. So I sent her a clip and said, "Can you teach me this?" And she's going, "Are you going to learn it?" And she knows I don't like to do the crescent. Cause she's going, "Are you going to learn it the way that I teach you, or are you going to?" pretty much do your own thing is that what you're sort of saying <laughs> well that's my question yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 I, look I mean <coughs> just like what we were saying if I'm learning to cut them from you I'll do it the way you teach me you know at some point it might change but if you're te- if you're in the dojo and you're teaching me and I'm your student then I'll do it the way you teach me when I'm in front of you, when I'm in front of you, when I'm in front of you. So you like we're saying before, you have to learn different ways of doing it. You know, you, that's a something that you know you guys do, and so I have to Actually, incorporate that. You know, the reality is, is that with with my injuries, um, my body at the moment just can't cannot physically do a crescent kick when I'm sitting in shikorachi or moving, transitioning into a shikorachi. Mm. Um, so I even have to adapt my 38-year-old body to be able to do that at the moment. So um, anyway, last question. I love your karate. I love the way you do karate. I love your karate. Your karate strong. If we, didn't, if we didn't do karate, we never would have met. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, like I said to Tiawa last night, if the only reason for me to have done have done karate was that I would meet her and have something in common then I'd be happy with that mm-hmm. I'd be happy with that that's but, good yeah, thank you lovey dovey yeah, two more questions come yeah. on let's finish this last two questions are actually based on what I've been watching in the background while we've been mm. having this interview the mm. first question is around shime mm. um, for Sanchin. yeah what are your thoughts on Shime and what is what have you seen? What is the best way to execute Shime? Um, yeah. Okay, so we've got we've got less than ten minutes to yep. get through this. So I'll try and be brief. Um, so Shime is if you're doing Sanchin Kata, you see it's sort of a, a testing thing. In styles like Kyokushin, um, Sado, you see it a lot in Wichiru and in Wojiru, certain styles of Wojiru. Shime is where they come up to you and you're breathing and they smash you on the shoulders and punch you in the gut. And in some extreme versions, they break boards over you. I think that Shime was to Shime was not originally about smashing people and not hitting them hard. It was really to test um, that you were engaging your core for one of a better, better term. To use a modern term, it wasn't about um, smashing each other. I think that probably the, the extreme versions of shimmy that we see we were crowd pleasers. And, and when, when in Okinawan days, you know, especially after the Second World War, people were needing to do things to you know survive, so they're doing street demonstrations, busking with them, and and um, so the shimmy became very, very much intent, a lot more intense and that's when they started doing the board breaking and all the rest of that stuff so for me shimmy is about testing court it's not about getting a jolly slapping someone as hard as you can mm-hmm. um, I, I, yeah this is the way I look at it mm-hmm. and um, the other thing that I was just wondering about um, I just saw one of the instructors on, on the YouTube clip that we were watching doing tensho and one of the things that I've always wondered about is how do you teach how do you teach the breathing technique 
potential mm. and what is the difference is there a difference between the breathing technique of sanchin and tensho yeah i mean there's a big difference i mean i would i would i sort of out of the two kata i suppose i prefer tensho as a breathing kata i i, I this is going to come as a bit of a blasphemy to a lot of gojuru practitioners who perhaps are listening um, Sanchin not taught, taught and practicing correctly can be very bad for your health, mm. for your blood pressure and so on. That's just my personal opinion and my experience. Um, I would go, so Sanchin is a very, is about muscular tension, engaging core and all these things and a very um, extreme form of breathing, you know, like called, you know, ebuki. Mm. Um, but the thing is, is the, that sort of guttural noise that everyone makes, you know, when you go, they do like, <laughs> you're clearing your throat I don't think that actually um, does anything but give you a sore throat I think that it's about stimulating breathing a bit oxygen saturation uh, tension is more of a, a circular breathing kata whereas uh, sanchin is more of a bodybuilding kata I guess mm. you know same principles but just done very very differently mm. 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 And I guess the other part to that, which which you don't have to answer now because mm. we've only got a couple of minutes, but it's it's. Oh, I do. I do have to. What no, do I don't. I think we need to just leave it for the next. But I um, want to interview. Stop yelling is, at me. Is actually how do you teach? How do you teach it? But that's oh. for the next interview. So for now. Uh, look, let me let me. Okay, I can answer that. I can answer real that. Quick? Yeah, I can answer that real quick. Um, how do you teach it? So the thing is, is that. I remember when I first met you, you were already a black belt when I met you in another solo karate. And I tried to teach you quite an advanced karate. I think I tried to do Seisan. I tried to teach your son to do one of those karate. Mm. I tried to teach Tiao Seisan straight off. But then 10 years later, having trained constantly, gotten her shodan and then the nida, um, now she's ready to sort of start doing some of those I think that it takes a lot of prep and I think what it does is you've got to build up an understanding of the style that you're doing before you get to that stage. I think it's a progressive thing and you're going to, you need the experience. It's not just, it's a hard cut to teach straight out. It's like for me when I teach people how to use weapons and ball and stuff like that. Unless you're doing karate, I think it's very, very hard to... um, to pick up certain things. Yeah, it's just a personal opinion. Mm. So in other words, we need to sit down and have a good training session once you're ready. Once I'm ready to do tension, it's taken ten years to get yeah, to now. It just takes it just takes time to do it really well. I mean yeah. you can learn the movements and it's just practice. Yeah. It just literally is practice. Yeah. It is practice and repetition. Final question. When you are sixty what sort of karate do you want to be doing? Um, when I'm 60, I want to do the kind of karate that makes that I that makes sure I reach 100. Mm. You know? um, <coughs> I want to do karate that I enjoy with people that I en- enjoy it with. Um, I want to do it in a way that would not disgrace if Miyagi Sensei or you know some of the living senior Sensei saw they they saw they wouldn't be totally disgusted. Mm. Um, I think that my Personal training as I get old is going to change. I think I'm going to take emphasis of certain kata and find kata that I like, and um, I'll definitely continue practicing kabuto and definitely can continue practicing um, yaido and things like that because I think it's very good for the mind as well as the body. Yeah. All right, well, that's all we have for time for. Thanks, thank you, Sensei. Um, 
Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. And appreciate learning a little bit about the Invisible Sensei and you learning a little bit about you and your history. Um, yeah. Nice to be on this popular show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yes. I'm very, very, it feels really cool. I think the next one I shall hand the reins over back to you. And oh, good. I'm going to talk to you. Well, cool. you can talk to anyone you want, but... Uh. <laughs> thank you for your time. No, thank you. Hey guys, thank you. If you're listening to this, thanks so much. Thank you, my darling, for oh, taking thank you. time. I'm looking forward to training. Um, also, just want to I do have a shout out. many questions I'm going to ask you. Oh gosh, <laughs> here we go. Thanks for that. Um, I want to do a shout out to our friends and families around the world who are um, dealing with the COVID situation. Guys, keep your head on a swivel. Keep common sense to the forefront. Take care of the most important thing. The very reason we do training that's our families, the people we love. Um, thanks so much for listening got some great interviews and some hopefully some great podcasts coming up and yeah also hey guys I'm also on um, Instagram now you can find me on uh, it's called it's on Invisible Sensei on Instagram I'm like a day old on Instagram which has got a a picture of my big bald head on it so you will know it so Invisible Sensei on Instagram feel free to um, holler at me on there and um, yeah check out the content and yeah guys thanks so much for listening um, what should I go out with peace peace be kind stay home yeah stay home just stay home <laughs> <laughs>